This is the eighth sermon on Luke chapter 11, verse 8. Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him. In the first place, let me draw some inferences or corollaries from what hath been insisted upon. First, returns to prayer are not given for the work's sake, but for the person's sake. Though the matter of thy prayer be good, yet if thou art not a good man, thou shalt not be accepted. God had respect first to Abel, and then to his offering. Psalm 34:17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth. The person must be in a state of favor because before the duty can be accepted. Second, though prayers are not returned for the work, yet they are not returned without the work. God expects the work, and the work you must do, though God will not have you to look for acceptance for the work's sake. Third, nor are returns of prayer made to a person, singly considered, but a member of Christ as one that hath a share in his intercession. John 15, verse 7, If ye abide in me, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be given you. And so John 16:23, Whatsoever ye ask the Father in my name, that he will give to you. All our prayers are but ciphers, till Christ's intercession be added. Ciphers in arithmetic stand for nothing, till a figure be added. Fourth, the longer and the more thou hast prayed, the more affectionate shouldest thou be in prayer. Matthew 6, verse 7. Ask, and ye shall have. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Observe the gradation in these words. Ask, but you must not stay there. You must seek. Nor yet must you rest satisfied there. You must knock. Your affections should be every day more eager and earnest. You should pray more fervently, as it is said of Christ. Luke 22:44. Fifth, he can never pray importunately that doth not pray daily. Intermission of duty will quickly cause an interruption in thine affections. You must therefore pray in secret, pray fervently, pray morning and evening, and to stir you up to and encourage you in this work, consider first the example of those holy men of God who have done thus. Nehemiah 1 verse 6 Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee day and night. So you have the example of Daniel, in Daniel 6, verse 10. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did before time. It was a custom that he had observed of former time. Though he was a great courtier and a man full of great employment, yet he would not neglect prayer. Nor was this an extraordinary fit, but his ordinary course. So in David, Psalm 5, 3, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, and in the evening will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. So Psalm 88, 13, But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. So Psalm 119, 147, I prevented the dawning of the morning, and cried unto the Lord. Psalm 55:17, Evening and morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. Second, you have the example of Jesus Christ himself in Mark 1, 35. 
In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed, and so at evening. Matthew 14.23 He went unto a mountain to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there also. At least you should think this was only upon extraordinary occasions. It is said in Luke 22.3 He came to the Mount of Olives as he was wont. John 18.2 Jesus resorted thither with his disciples. Third, consider you have the very examples of heathens in this. The heathens sacrificed to Hercules morning and evening upon the great altar at Rome. Fourth, consider that in the Lord's Prayer we are taught to pray every day. Christ did not bid us pray for bread or things necessary for a month or a year, but day by day. Fifth, this was prefigured in the law. There was a daily offering to be given to God a lamb at morning and a lamb at night, as you may see in Exodus 28, 29, 38, and 39. Yea, extraordinary sacrifices did not abolish this number. There was a burnt offering for the Sabbath, besides the continual burnt offering, and the burnt offering at the beginning of the month, and the Passover. And yet, though these extraordinary works were to be done, yet the ordinary were not to be left undone. So that you see, here is good ground and encouragement for men to be frequent in these religious duties and so much for the first use. Second, this may be useful for the instruction of those to whom God hath given returns of prayer, to whom God hath out of his bounty given more than they did ask. To such I must give, first, some negative cautions, and secondly, some positive cautions. First, some negative cautions and that in four regards. First, let not God's returns to thy prayers make thee remiss and careless in the performance of duty. Beware of an empty heart when God brings in thy mercies with a full hand. Merchant adventurers, if they have good returns, are encouraged to adventure their ships to sea again. Our hearts are so base and disingenuous that we are apt when we have what we seek for to seek no more. Oh, take heed of this. Let not God's goodness make you worse. Another caution is this. Let not returns to prayer make you conceited and proud of your gifts or of your graces. We are too apt to reflect upon ourselves, our parts, our graces, our abilities, and therefore we have more need to take heed of it. Beware that thine heart be not lifted up in pride against God, lest God be provoked to lift up his hand against thee in judgment. Third, take heed that you do not ascribe the returns of prayer to your own importunity, but merely to the freeness of God's grace. Men are very apt to sacrifice to their own nets and burn incense to their own drags. Take heed of this. God cannot endure to have his glory given to another. Say rather, I have received a mercy, but alas, there is nothing in me that could deserve it. All comes solely from the free grace of God. Fourth, take heed of returning again to to sin after God hath returned thy prayers into thy bosom. Psalm 85, 8, I will hear what the Lord God will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, but let them not turn again to folly. It would be both sin and folly in thee to return to sin after God hath given thee an answer of peace. This was David's resolution for his own particular. Psalm 6, 8, 
Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Why? What is the reason? The Lord hath heard the voice of my supplication. As if David had said, O ye wicked men, you have been occasions of sin to me, and companions in sin with me. But now that God hath been thus gracious to me, now that God hath graciously returned my prayers, I will have no more to do with you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. And so much for the negative cautions. I shall now lay down a few positive cautions. First, if God hath returned thy prayers, see that thou beest more frequent in prayer than thou wast formerly. This was the purpose of holy David, Psalm 116. Because the Lord hath heard my prayer, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. So let it be your care to set yourself more solemnly and seriously to seek God than you ever have done. And second, see that you be more in praises to God than you have been. Those mercies that thou hast won by prayer are to be worn by thankfulness. Psalm 145.10 All thy works praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints do bless thee. All God's works do praise him. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. That is, they are all the passive monuments of God's power in creating them. But the saints, they are agents in praising God. Blessing is more than praising. A picture praiseth him that made it, but it doth not bless him. The saints, they bless God in a peculiar manner. Their mouths are full of the praises of God. They have a principle within them of praising God. They are agents in setting forth his praise and therefore it is very fit that you should bless God. Third, see that you be much in obedience. If God doth much for thee, see that thou do much for God. If God hath an hearing ear, thou must have a doing hand. And so much for the use of caution. Third, I shall speak something by way of comfort. First, to such as have not this importunity, nor this return of prayers and second, to such as have returns to prayer. First, here is a word of consolation to those that want this holy importunity, and that in three respects. First, thou mayest pray with sincerity when thou dost not pray with importunity. The Lord, saith David, is nigh unto all that call upon him. But how? Not only to them that call upon him importunately and powerfully, but to all that call upon him in truth. If thou canst say thou dost call upon God in truth and with a sincere heart, God will be nigh unto thee. Second, it is the office of Christ to pray for thee in heaven when thou dost not pray upon earth. It is the work of Jesus Christ to make intercession for thee to his Father. Although thou hast not importunity in thyself, yet consider, O believing soul, that Christ is in heaven importuning the Father for thee. Third, a sense and complaining of the want of this holy importunity is accounted by God a degree of it. If you did ever complain of the want of the Spirit, it was a sign you never had the Spirit. And now that you bewail the want of it, it is a sign you have it. Second, here is also a word of consolation to those that have returns of prayer and that in four respects. First, thy mercies are double mercies. It is a mercy to have mercy, but to have it in such a way is a double mercy. Psalm 91, 
They shall call upon me, and I will answer them, and I will be with him in trouble. It is a mercy to have deliverance out of trouble, but to have it through prayer, a deliverance that comes in by prayer is a double mercy. Second, these mercies are sanctified mercies. Mercies as you are creatures are good, but as returns of prayer they are sanctified. And blessed mercies are much better to the soul that enjoyeth them. Third, the mercies which thou hast as returns of prayer are costly mercies. Mercies that come in by providence are easy and cheap, but mercies that come in by prayer are costly. They cost the price of Christ's blood to purchase them, and they cost thee many a prayer and tear to obtain them. Fourth, these mercies are sealing mercies, and that in three particulars. They are seals to you that you have the Spirit of God, For Christ hears no prayers and no spirit but his own. God is as well pleased with the barking of a dog as with the prayers of a Christless man. Second, it is a seal to thee of an interest in Christ's intercession. If thy prayers are returned, it is a sign they are accepted. Now no prayers are accepted but by virtue of the intercession of Jesus Christ. Third, these returns are a seal of more mercies a sign that thou shalt have more mercies from God. One mercy that is given in by prayer is a pledge of another mercy. And thy mercy in this life is a pledge to thee that thou shalt have eternal happiness in heaven to all eternity. The end. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-450, 3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies and attend not to his commands, 
they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.